Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering these CDs, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight and also our birthday girl, Stephanie. So welcome to my birthday party. Um, My name is Stephanie R. And I am truly a grateful bulimic and compulsive overeater. Um, Hi, everyone. Um, So I was not born a compulsive eater. I was born a beautiful, bright, adorable um, little child of God who met circumstance, and um, I like to say that um, when I was born, the camel's back was already broken, and um, it was tough. And my mother was quickly a single mother of four children without a high school degree, and really not equipped to deal with it, and so. You know, circumstance, and we were separated, the kids were separated, we were placed in different places with friends and family, and I was strong, though. I was strong, I was smart, and I was resilient. But there was one point in my life, we got back together, time passed, where, you know, circumstance um, led to trauma, which led to which I think is God's gift to me, brown sugar. And I know that sounds strange, but without, at eight years old, um, being able to eat spoon after spoon of brown sugar from this box, I don't think I'd be here today. I don't think I'd be here in any shape today. I might be a heroin addict. I might, I have no idea. But it was my best friend at the time. I will be eternally grateful for it. And, um, It worked, and it worked a very long time. The problem was is that the reason I reached for sugar is there was no humans. And I really think the core of my addiction is not just what I use, but it's what I didn't have and couldn't use to take care of myself, to soothe myself, to calm myself, to stabilize myself. The humans in my life were complicated, complex, and and my mother mentally ill. And the situ it was circumstance. Theodore Rescue, a wonderful poet, said that insanity is the nobility of the soul at odds with, at odds with circumstance. And I see that so much. I've lived that so much. And the grace is that even though it was brown sugar in my lunchbox, I had a lunchbox. I also had gastritis, which continues to be where my stress goes, but I, I made it. I turned to school, I turned to overachieving, I turned to lots of different things, but what, what complicated it and what led to eventually the bulimia is my mother was a compulsive overeater, she was 300 pounds, we'd binge and diet, my other siblings left the house, two got married, one went into the Navy, and it was just us, so... By 10 years old, um, my mother had decided we needed to go on diet pills. And so my first part of diet pills was at 10. 
And my, I mean, I met Weight Watchers when Weight Watchers, we had to make our own mayonnaise. I mean, it was, and lots of tuna, man. That was a lot of tuna. <laughs> and using gelatin to make these shakes with strawberries and yogurt or I don't know what it was, milk, buttermilk. Oh, that was it. So, um, the problem with that, though, and it's something I fully believe and I share, is that every binge begins with a restrict thought. Every one. You can, I can track it back. So my first diet was my lead-in to eventually what be, would be bulimia, would be purging. And we would diet, and my mom would decide we'd be good. Then we'd go off, and we'd have a treat. Now I was ready to keep on dieting. Um, the diet pills didn't work. I couldn't sleep, and so we stopped that. But the diets continued, and I, until I met, came into this program in 1989, and even after that, until I got recovery. I should really qualify. My apologies. So I came into program 1989 um, and really couldn't get any traction at all. I went to meetings, but couldn't get any traction. I went to a side program in, um, I think it was 1990-something, three, four. 93, and bounced 30 days on, 30 days off, 30 days on, 30 days. I couldn't do it. I was purging. I was binging. I was self-loathing. I was depressed. I was also very functional, and on the outside, you really wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. That's the thing. I'm, And I think with most bulimics, sort of our insights and our outsides don't match. We manage the outside so you see what we want you to see. And on the inside, just a hot mess. And so... The dieting set up this pattern in me where, okay, so we treat, and then we diet, and then we treat, and then we diet. And it really just set up this pattern of, you know, and when you go to go to weigh in, of course, then take off your shoes, take off your this. It was just this thing of having to report in and be judged on my weight. And it started so young, it just became incorporated into me. So, um almost part of my personality, I think, for, for that period of time. And the, then when I'm on my own with these diets and going to these diet programs, by the way, I was not obese, but these diet programs, um, I would take diuretics first, and then it moved on to laxatives later on. So my early years, it was very much somebody else was controlling my food, scrutinizing my body. We were on diets together. And... Then when it came to adolescence, um, I was good on my own. I, was, I could do this. So I started restricting junior high. High school, um, it was just constant dieting, diet books, body, body hating. And um, at the same time, really overachieving, heading towards college. Everything was about scholastics. Everything was about the outsides. Everything became about the outsides. There was just the outsides. I was the golden child in my family, um, and that really didn't help, you know. So, in 1995, that was a big year. In 1995, which is the year that a really significant relationship, I had been divorced and then really thought this was high school love, and it was one of those... And um, so I went through a really heart, big heartbreak. And at the same time, my son left for college. And 
it was just it was it was bleak. It was really bleak. And I was working. I had gotten my licensure, and I, I was seeing people, and I was so functional on the outside. And then I would go home, and um, you know the curtains, and I would I would binge, and then I would purge, and I'd stop being able to throw up early on because I had a hiatal hernia, but that didn't stop me. So, but it was really dark. I'd never been that depressed. I wasn't really reaching out. I was still going to meetings. And um, I, I would go to the movies, and, and my idea of a date was two, two of the very large Butterfingers and a Diet Coke. And that's a date. And it would numb me just the way brown sugar did. Sugar, I would use sugar. Like targeted, like this targeted drug. I wouldn't didn't need to have mass quantities at some point. If I was depressed and I thought I was going to start crying during the day, I would have some sugar. It would numb it out just to take the edge off. I swear, it was just like heroin. And but quickly, the insides were not being able to be contained by the outsides, and it was just I could feel it. I feel like getting out of control. So the end of 1995 had me. The end of 1995 had me. Lining up cupcakes. My last. This was my last binge. I was lining up cupcakes and, and putting laxatives in between them. When that was all, because you had to know what came out, you know. And then topping that with ice cream because I could still throw ice cream out. And at the same time, contemplating whether or not I wanted to be on this planet anymore. And it just got worse and worse. And I went into a meeting. Yeah, it was, it took me about a week to really stop purging. But I met this guy, I think his his name was, it was one of the, one of the Charleses. And he would measure his head, his belt, and he would show how much he lost. And I swear it was this, he'd always bring his belt. And I asked him to be my sponsor, which I, I, I don't even know why. I'm really glad I did. And I never, ever believed for a second I was going to be able to go a day without purging. Didn't believe it. I thought, I'm going to get him for a sponsor because maybe I'll lose weight. Really, I wanted to control the binging. You know, I wanted to lose the weight. And so we sat down, which you always do, and we go over it and everything cleared out. And he said, so, do you think you could go just today? Do you think, I mean, we're already at, I don't know where we're at, like noon. So, do you think you could not purge today? Really, just today? I said, well, I don't know. So how about we just try today? And I said, okay. And I did. I didn't sleep. But, and I called him the next morning. He said, really good. And so we met again. And he said, how about today? And we did one day at a time holding hands like that for 30 days. And the only thing I didn't do was I did not throw up. And, and that was 20 years ago. And so... After that, it, it took until 1998, took three more years for me to stop binging. And I think that's a huge, a huge piece of this for me. And what I want to really put out there is for me, it is, it's yet stop the purging first. I don't know how. I don't know how I would ever, I don't think I could have stopped purging if I had focused on binging. Because to me, in my life, food really was just cannon fodder. You know, 
whatever I'm putting in is really just preparing for what's going to come out. So it, to, to focus on the quality of what goes in, it was irrelevant at that point. So that changed everything. So 20, 20 years ago, this man, um, this one human being, this one human being that I chose to trust, that I chose because I had to trust because I didn't trust anybody, um, I chose to let guide me with his big old belt. It's, you know, it was that human connection that saved me. And in this program, it's the human connection that saves us. It is the human connection that saves us. And it was the human connection that went south in the beginning. It was the fact that we couldn't, or that I couldn't, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, I couldn't reach for a mom. I couldn't go to anybody. I had to handle it. I couldn't tell anybody that my uncle raped me at eight. I had to just internalize that because nobody, nobody wanted to hear it because then it would just make things more chaotic. So it's the human connection. So pound-wise, in 1998, I got, another, I got a food sponsor and went through the steps and I had already known that I could trust. I could trust a human to help me through. I could let a human into my food. I could let a human into, I mean, that, for bulimic, letting anybody into whatever you're eating and doing, huge. And, but to let someone in, you know, it was just, it was grace. It was nothing else but grace. And I had been desperate. I had had a binge bottom like you would not believe it involved, I don't know, how many kinds of pies and things. I was doing this this program that said, you know, you should eat as much sugar as you want because, you know, you're in de- deprivation. And I was carrying around bags of M&Ms and becoming diabetic and depressed. Um, so I, I really wrapped that one up really well. I went out in style. Um, I went to my gynecologist's office and got on the school scale. He said, they weighed me and I was a nurse and she said, well, you've gained a little weight. She said, I said, okay, I need to know how much. She said, 230 pounds. My mind stopped. It just stopped because someplace I have had very obese sisters. I had decided I would kill myself at 200 and I was way behind the ball. You know, it was like, I wasn't supposed to be, you know, it was like, it just, my mind stopped. My brain froze. And the next day I went into a meeting and got a sponsor and, gave it over. I was just, I was willing because I couldn't be on this planet at that weight. It was just not, I couldn't handle it. So that was, in 19, since 1998, I have been maintaining, it goes it was un, imperfectly a 60 to 5 to 70 pound weight loss, which is miraculous for me. Um, and it has nothing to do with me. It really is this program and it's God. And so, how I, how, how I did it, how I've maintained it, how I've anything has nothing to do with me. It's what, it's the steps. It's doing the steps. It's doing the steps. And it's God. And, and that whole, the third step has been the hardest step for me forever. And I kind of want to shift into the steps now because... I'm really, I, at this point, I have gone through, let me see, breakups. I've lost my mother. Actually, my mother got sick, had a stroke, 
my mother died. I went, I, I went through a breakup of my eight-year relationship, car accident, had heart thing, and the food didn't call me. Nothing. It is not, it's no longer that. I'm supported. I've done that enough. The problem is, is I am still susceptible to the obsession of the mind. There is no bulletproofness for the obsession of the mind, folks. Sorry. Um, doesn't matter how thin you get or how well you're fit. Just, nah, crazy still there. So, and there is no solution for that other than God. There, I swear. The steps are God. Everything is God. When people say go to God, they don't mean, well, maybe they, but they don't mean like, you know, just, okay, you know, hand it over. They mean go to God. Like you're on fire. You can smell your skin singeing off. Like go to God. Hold God's hand. Sometimes, lately, because it's been really rough, um, really rough in my, my mind, anxiety, panic. I had my first ambulance ride two months ago. I had pushed myself since the breakup. I had been trying to outrun grief and loss. I thought if I could, which I did, become a gyrotonic trainer. You know, if I could just physically get to that place, where perfectionism won the day, if I could be shiny enough and fit enough, and fit, you know, whatever it is, enough, 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 that I was, I was going to be okay. Like, I was going to not be hit by this tsunami of loss from the last two years. I really believed it. I really believed it. And that being hit by a truck on my son's birthday, having my car totaled, didn't stop me, man. Nope. Nope. I went to... A treatment a day to try to get back into that feeling of in charge and control. I got this. So I got dehydrated. I got whatever. I went crazy. And so I had an ambulance ride. And I heard God then. I did. I got it. <laughs> I understand. I understand what happened. Some people would keep asking, so your heart's so great and everything's so fine. We don't know what happened. I'm going, I do. I do. And everybody in the rooms understands what can happen when you factor out God completely and you factor in will completely and you begin to believe your own insanity. You'll end up in ambulance rides. You'll end up in all sorts of strange things. And this last two months has been the biggest gift to my life. That point in time has been the biggest gift to my life because... I finally get step three. You know, I mean, it's such a gift when you struggle with that, and all of a sudden you're going, I go to sleep holding God's hand. I swear, it's not a problem. I love it. And everything, I see through different eyes. I see, I see the steps through different eyes. I read the big book through different eyes. It's as though I finally, I've got this little translator decoder ring or something. <laughs> Right, that I didn't have before because, yeah, 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 I know, I know. No, I get it. I really get it. Like, I get it. Right? And then off I'd go. Will and I would go head for the next thing. We're going to mountain, we're going to climb, or cure cancer, or whatever we're going to do. 
And now, now I did. I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to sit here and listen to this or pray on that, <laughs> you know. So I think that the obsession of the mind, it's like that is, that's my biggest addiction is, is perfectionism. And it really, that really stems from this place of cannot be vulnerable. Not a good idea. Cannot be vulnerable. Can't even be vulnerable to God. Can't be vulnerable. And my prayer now is, my biggest prayer now is to replace, ask God to replace fear with faith. It's like my mono prayer. It's in everything. It's always. It's through me all day long. It's really, really my top of my Christmas list. You know, it's what I want. Because fear, I'm really seeing so much of this as, It's so self-absorbed. I mean, and panic and anxiety really has such a me, me, me quality to it. It's like, I can't. What am I? But when, when I am truly in that place of just holding God's hand, well, if, and I'm not in this place of me and how I have to protect myself or I have to defend myself or I have to seem some way, What's so scary? It just isn't. You know, it's God's there all the time. It's just a thought. It's just a moment. And the peace from it is amazing. And I look at people different. I want, I'm reaching out differently in my program. I am available. It's the whole part of that. It started off, it started off with humans being Humans being the absent piece, um, now I'm seeing that I can't, it's like I can't just sit and wait for the boat of humans to arrive, you know, (laughs) that when I, now when I get anxious and I start to lose God's hand, I, I reach out, but I reach out differently and it is from a place of how are you, what can I do for you, how are you doing today, I get out of me and it is the best antidote to anxiety, to distress that I've ever had. And I heard it, I've heard it for 20 years, and again, I went, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. The doing of it, that is really where the solution is. It's, it's, it's reaching out. The tools work. The tools work. The book works. The program works. But the people piece of it, from that place of, what can I do for you today? How are you doing? Engaging from a place of anything other than me, mine, I, is relief. It is relief. And so where I am today is, I would have to say in one of the best places I've ever been in a life that I am really uncertain about. Um, I am still processing the tsunami of grief that hit me when I slowed down. You know how you, if you're going along in a boat and all of a sudden you cut the engine suddenly, the wave behind you kind of swamps the boat. 
I've been running a while. So it hit, and I dived right back into my tools, and I dived into the program, and I dived into prayer. And that's the gift of not going out. That's the gift of keep coming even if you're having a hard time. Keep coming even if you want to hide. You keep coming if you think you don't deserve to be here because, boy, there are lots of times I thought I just I, – I knew inside what was going on and I thought I didn't deserve a chair. It's the gift of, of staying current with people, which I have to admit I am so bad at. I am so imperfect at. I am like this chronic isolator. You leave me alone and <laughs> – don't leave me alone, folks – um, and I, I will isolate, but then what happens is when things happen, when you need your people, when you need your people, they don't know what's been going on with you, right? Yeah, it, and then you don't want to call. That's me. I wouldn't want to call because I'd have to fill you in on this whole thing that I wasn't telling anybody about. But if you even have a few people, a few people that you're current with, that you can tell the truth with, that you can stay current with, then when the shit hits the fan, you're caught, right? You have people. And for people who, for the ones who are, are new, it's really important to have that. In the beginning, it's really important to have that kind of support because you're going to go through periods where things aren't as perfect and things aren't going as well and you start struggling and your head catches you and shame chases you and then you're not good enough and it's really important to have those people in your life who know where you've been, who know where you are, who know what you're struggling with, where you can be honest. You don't have to hide. You don't have to go to shame and you don't have to go out. That's really what will keep you in. And... um so, going forward for me, where I am, is I'm having a renewed, a renewed relationship around that obsession of the mind. Um, I'm back in a, a year-long big book study program, and step program, and I've got a new sponsor, and I'm committed like I haven't been. I'm on my knees twice a day, which that wasn't my thing before and I am willing but it's different it isn't willing because I want something back it's willing because I kind of I kind of get how much I need it you know I know I need what comes from a spiritual awakening and I I've been I mean I've been a Buddhist for 30 years you know and all this spiritual stuff, and I have to say, no, I don't think so. You know, I have to bust myself. I really, I just have to bust myself because, no, I, I don't think so. I think I've had spiritual experiences. I think I've had spiritual moments, but I've never had a spiritual awakening. And even today, I have to say, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I wouldn't have been that scared. I mean, I, I, if that were the case, I would have a different perspective. And... That's what I want now. That's, that's what I want. And I know that it's there for me. I know that people have gone before me, which is so stunning, and that people are there to guide me. So I think I am going to wrap it up there and open it for any questions. Um,
The question was, can you talk more about how you stopped binging? Um, I stopped binging the way that I stopped purging, in that it was a one-day-at-a-time thing. I have a couple of things I talk about that is part of the stopping binging, and it's also part of stopping purging. It's, it's, it's no matter what. And it's being able to have a relationship and tolerate the experience of no matter what. That is really, no matter what is on a map of how to get abstinent or stay abstinent. And no matter what for me, curled in a ball, crying, physical pain, thought I was dying of the flu, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, on the phone, not on the phone, writing incessantly, staying up all night, sleeping for three days, no matter what, means just that, that you do not do it no matter what. And you start to realize how much you need a deep bench of no matter what. You have to have a deep bench of no matter what means you make those outreach calls, you go to a lot of meetings, you share like crazy, you tell people, please call me, please call me, please call me, right? That is, that is no matter what. And um, I also realized that that um, I like to talk with what I like to say that it's impossible to ride two horses with one butt. Like you can do what you want, or you can get what you want. I have never seen a case where I could do what I want and get what I want at the same time. It's rare. I mean, you have to have some agreement someplace with something. Usually, usually, if I'm doing what I want, like if what I want is abstinence, sanity, healthy body weight, I'm not going to be able to do what I want because what my mind would say in that binge mentality is do what I want, let's go. <laughs> right? You buy, I fly. I mean, it was really not, it was no no-brainer. So I think what I'm talking about is the willingness and the ability to give up the alternative. That's really hard. Really hard. You can't do it alone. I don't think you can do it alone. Because it's really, really hard. And you have to build a nervous system underneath it that can actually handle that. And that takes time. What's your morning routine like? Um, I'm so glad you asked me that today. Um, <laughs> um, I pray. I wake up. Okay. Please, Kenny. Please ask me what. What's your morning routine? Oh, my morning routine. What's my morning routine like? So, when I open my eyes, um, the minute I open my eyes, I thank God for another day, right? Just for another day, and I just say. Show me what you'd have me be. I mean, really, when I open my eyes, it's like, please take my mind. Just take it. Like, use me. Take it. My, my, really, my mind is not a good place. My mind, it's a bad road to a bad place. And so I wake up with that attitude. Then I get on my knees. and I, I have a, a few prayers that I'm 
working on memorizing. But I always, always start the serenity prayer. I do the third step prayer. And then I either do St. Francis or I do seventh step. Depends on which one. And then my meditation, I do sitting 10 minutes in quiet meditation. Usually after I read one of the books, like right now, um, I have three that I choose from. And then um, I call my sponsor or I call a fellow, and then I'm off into my day. My abstinence, I, I'm so backwards in this, I apologize. I should have done all this at the beginning. Really, it's no purging and no dieting. And that, to me, includes no cleanses, no juice fast, no anything of that nature. Like um, my, my food plan is a whole different thing. My basic flu food plan is three meals a day with two snacks, no sugar, and I'm celiac, so I stay away from any of those products. And um, But I do not keep a tight lockdown on the food plan. It's, it, it happens to be how I've eaten for I don't know how long, but it's just important that my abstinence stay just that. And, um, and it works for me one day at a time. I don't get ahead of that. So at the end of my day, um, I do, on the end of my day, I, I wrap it up like what's in the big book. I'll just say that. I do the end of the day. So thank you very much. Thank you.